Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at How Stuff Works, and as usual, I have sitting with me senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hail and well met, Paulette. Uh oh. <laughs> you see where this is going to go pretty quickly, huh? Yeah. Yep. Welcome to the third in our series on focusing on folks who are important in the tech and computer industry, and we need to come up with a better title than that, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about the uh, uh, another leader in tech and uh, specifically within the video game field, Richard Lord British or General British Garriott. Yes. Uh, you may not be familiar with his name. But uh, if you've ever played the Ultima series of games, you have something you owe him your thanks. <laughs> yes, yes. He's the one who made those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Richard Garriott, he's a, he's a remarkable person. Uh, I've, I've actually had the great pleasure of meeting and chatting with Richard Garriott on many occasions. But it was back when I was a, uh, a teenager. A young pup. Yes, yes. <laughs> before I had uh, I'd become a professional journalist. Um so, but the, 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 he's a genuinely very nice person, but it's, it's interesting to kind of look at his journey, uh, where he's gone from, uh, from being a, a, when he was a teenager to being a multimillionaire, um, who now is possibly pursuing space related interests. Well, I think, uh, possibly pursuing is. Well, that, the, further pursuing, I should say. Um, well, first of all, it's not any surprise that he would be sur- following his father's footsteps, right? That's true. We should talk about him for a second. Yep. Uh, Richard is the son of Owen K. Garriott, who, uh, among other things, was an astronaut. Yep. He uh, actually was on um, a Skylab mission in yes. 1973. And in 1983, he uh, was on Space Lab 1. Wow. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah, you know? it's very cool so, to have a dad who's an astronaut. Right. So here, here's Richard Garriott. His dad's an astronaut. He... Uh, He's interested in things like role-playing games, becomes a big fan of the game uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, he's sent to a computer camp when he's a teenager and becomes extremely interested in computers as well and begins to see ways to marry these two interests together, his love of role-playing games and the love of computers. I actually want to throw something in as I was reading the uh – the Wired article okay. about uh, Richard Garriott. Actually, it was sort of about Richard Garriott and sort of about Star City, which is a uh, um, Russian space camp that uh, that he went to. But um, apparently, according to this article, uh, he convinced his teachers that learning BASIC, the computer language BASIC, satisfied his foreign language requirement in nice. high school. That doesn't surprise me at all. Richard, Richard's <laughs> a very, uh, very charismatic and, uh, and convincing fellow when you meet him in person. He's, um, uh, he's fascinating to talk to. He, uh, I know that he created a computer game back when he was at the computer camp that, uh, printed on tape. This was before monitors. So he, the way it would work is that you would, uh, you would enter, say, a room in a, like a role playing game and mm-hmm. it would print out a, uh, a room in ASCII art showing you, you know, where you're lo- where you were in relation to the rest of the room and you would move your character. Let's say like I move one space north. 
it would have to print out the whole thing all over again, showing you where you were now in relation to everything else, plus making other stuff appear as it came into view of your character. Not the most efficient kind of game, but it did show that he was very interested in this from the very beginning. And it was a very clever solution to the problem of not having a visual means yes. by which you could communicate that information. But now, oh, oh no, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I was going to say, you know, you may be saying, okay, so if he wants to be an astronaut, why didn't he just do that? I mean, why is he doing the whole computer camp thing? Well, there was one problem, actually two problems. That would be his eyes. Yeah, uh, his eyes were not good enough for. Uh, for NASA. So he's been, he, he, he sort of, from what I read, he sort of fell back on computers and gaming because he liked those two things and he, because he couldn't go forward in, in the space program. So he right. kind of got it, you know, a fork in the road and he said, well, you know, I love these things too. This is what I'm going to do. Right. And he embraced it. Uh, in 1980, he wrote a game called Acalabeth, which is sort of the precursor to the, yeah, precursor to the Ultima series. Um, and this was back in the days when you would find computer games at your local little computer store and they'd be pinned up on a bulletin board and they'd all be in Ziploc bags. It'd be a floppy disk, maybe a, a sheet of printed instructions and uh, if you were really lucky, some art that actually said what the title of the game was. Otherwise, it was just on the sticker on the disc itself, these old five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy disks. I remember those. Uh, yeah, I do too. I still have some. Um, <laughs> can't run them on anything, but I have them. So yeah, it, it actually got very popular. And and the way Richard used to tell this story was that he said, I was doing what I loved and I sent the uh, sent this company my my game and then they started sending me money. It was great. <laughs> it was fantastic. Go. I was like, well this is what I want to do. So from there he went on to program Ultima One. And uh this was back in the day when a single person could produce a game from start to finish on his or her own. Yep. Something that does not happen very much these days. Um, it's just because games have gotten so complicated at this point that you, you almost need an entire department of a major company to, to put one together. But this was back in the day when someone uh, with enough, uh, enough time and enough, uh, effort could produce a game by themselves. So. Yeah, but he did start a company, Origin. He did. Yeah, he Origin formed Systems. it with his brother and a few other people, Origin mm -hmm. Systems. And Origin Systems produced the Ultima series as well as some other games like uh, with the Wing Commander series and a few other uh, series as well. Uh, but the Ultima ones, I think, were kind of the flagship for that company. Again, according to the Wired article, more than 100 million copies. Yeah, I own a few of those. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was a huge Ultima fan. In fact, uh, before I ever met Richard Garriott, I was I was already playing Ultima 2, which was a very simple role-playing game. Um, in in the, the early Ultimas, 1 through 3, it was pretty much following the standard kind of role-playing system in which you're you're playing a powerful character – and you go around killing stuff and selling stuff and trying to beat the bad guy to win the game. And here's the interesting part. The first thing that I think is really interesting about Richard's progress as a game developer, uh, he started to become dissatisfied with the way these games were kind of laid out, the storyline of these games. He thought that they, they were too simple. Uh, the whole good versus evil thing was a little too um, – primitive. Mm -hmm. So he decided he wanted to create a game in which your choices as a player would determine whether or not you could win the game. It wasn't just, you know, if you killed enough oryx, you were suddenly powerful enough to take on a troll and you kill enough trolls, you can finally take on the big bad guy. 
it was that you had to make moral choices throughout the game. And based on those choices, that determined whether or not you could win the game. Right. That's when he created Ultima 4 and really introduced the concept of the avatar character. And uh, to become an avatar, you had to adhere to some very strict rules. And if you broke those rules, then you, you it was impossible to win the game. And uh, it got a lot of attention among gamers. And uh, most of it was positive. I mean, a lot of the gamers who wanted to just breeze through a game were kind of frustrated because they couldn't just, you know, hack and slash their way through. But it was so different from what had come before it that it really kind of revolutionized uh, video computer role-playing games at the time. Right. And um, that's pretty much how you went from that point on. It was very important that your character was able, you know, th- that the choices you made as a character actually affected the way the game progressed. And uh, so it wasn't just random encounters or anything like that. If you told off someone in this one town, then your reputation could spread in that town and people would treat your character differently based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, uh, you know, it sounds like I'm going on and on about this, but really that was very revolutionary at the time. Well, you think about it, um, and it's more than just a two-dimensional game at that point. You know, before you had, you know, left, right, up, down, essentially, you know, black and white choices. And now you enter into shades of gray and things that you do, the game is smart enough to know what's going on and and to to react to the decisions that you make and have other non-player characters, you know, react to you differently based on the things that you do. That's pretty sophisticated. That's a lot more immersive. That's a lot more like real life. Right. So, uh, you know, maybe for the non gamers who are listening to us and there are probably very few of them, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you would say, okay, well that's more intriguing. That's the kind of thing that's going to get, uh, more, if you will, non geeks interested in games because, you know, say, well, this is, this is a lot more like, you know what I'm used to in my own life. So, and you can you can see the effects of this kind of game design today. I mean, like the game Fable, for example, I think owes a lot to this Ultima model. Um, in Fable, the choices you make as a character determine your character's outcome. It determines what your character looks like. It determines how everyone uh, reacts to you. And I think that that's all based on this same kind of philosophy that Richard Garriott really sort of championed early on. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the later games in the Ultima series, there were nine of them total in the, the nine official full-on Ultima games. There were also a few uh, expansions and a couple of little side games as well. But uh, the last two in particular, Ultima 8 and Ultima 9, kind of got a little of a uh, – well, there's a little backlash from the fans. Uh, Ultima 8 had a different system of controls than the previous Ultimas did and not all fans found it very entertaining – um, and Ultima 9, a lot of people felt, even though it was delayed quite a few times, uh, felt that it was still rushed when it came out. So there was a bit of a, like I said, a little bit of a backlash by this point. And, and again, th- this is a point where the games were so complex that groups of people had to work on them. It was no longer possible for Richard to, to design a game from start to finish and build it all himself. And speaking of other parties, it was in, uh, 1992 when Electronic Arts, Bought Origin Systems. Right. Yes. Um, so, you know, they had a transaction for $35 million in stock. Um, and by that point, you know, he was a multimillionaire sure. already, you know, founded a mansion. Yeah. Um, I'll have to go into the mansion Manor. a little bit later. Oh, yeah. The mansion is, is, yeah, that's, uh, that's another matter entirely. Yeah. The electronic arts situation 
was kind of the beginning of the end. Um, they, the, the company continued to produce, um, some, some pretty good games during that time, but uh, Electronic Arts began to, to cancel a lot of the projects that the Origin team had been working on. And eventually that, I think, um, made Richard decide to leave the company entirely. He, he resigned from Electronic Arts and founded a different company, um, called Destination Games. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, I've never talked to him about that. It seemed like one of those kind of taboo subjects. Um, so I don't really know what the whole story is behind it, but I can imagine it has to be a little frustrating to see these, something that you've created uh, kind of get the back burner by a larger corporation, especially if you were told head on like early in the the, the, the deal that you were going to have a lot more control. Um, I don't know the details behind that. I don't know that necessarily that happened. But he did leave the company and founded a new company. So that tells you something. Right. Well, of course, Electronic Arts, for its part, is a very, very large, as in 800-pound gorilla of sure. gaming uh, in a multi, multi-billion dollar industry at this point. And they have responsibilities to their shareholders. And I'm sure that it, yeah. it was probably something along those lines. You know, when you get to a, to that point, when you're that size, you, uh, some of your decisions are dictated more by the bottom line than others. Right. Um, well, so. and, and, and one other thing I wanted to point out about the, the games that he made back when he was with Origin and EA, um, he was also responsible for the creation of Ultima Online, mm-hmm. which is one of the very first graphic-based mul- uh, massive multiplayer online role-playing games, MMORPGs. Was that ever uh, – that ever take off? <laughs> yeah. Ultima Online did very well. Um, it was – although it was always battling uh, EverQuest right. at the time. And, and sure. I think it eventually was pretty much the, the also-ran. Um, but it had its own hardcore – base of fans. Um, and so it was never, it was never a failure. It just, I think EverQuest eventually outpaced it and, and just kept the lead from that point on until of course, world World of of Warcraft, Warcraft, which now dominates everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another thing you have to kind of credit Richard for. I mean, it, granted, it was a team of people who put that together. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a one man show or anything by right. any, but he was definitely a champion of that. I got to see, uh, Ultima online in a beta build, um, about a year before it actually went live. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was really intrigued by it. It looked a lot like, uh, Ultima six in terms of graphics. So it actually went backward. Because uh, at that point, I think Ultima 8 had been out for a while. Mm-hmm. So it actually went backward as far as graphics are concerned. But Ultima 6 was also a fairly popular uh, entry into the series. So I didn't think it was a bad thing at all. And it was also uh, one of the first to have sort of the in-game economy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was really a, really kind of a nifty. Of course, everything that Richard does, he tries to you know make sure there's some innovation involved. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, so when Richard left and founded Destination Games, uh, he merged with another company uh, called NCSoft. Actually, Destination Games merged with NCSoft. Richard didn't. Yeah. That would have been weird. It would have been like the Borg. So uh, they put him in charge of the Austin office of NCSoft. And that's when Richard began work on a new massively multiplayer online role-playing game called Tabula Rasa, which had a science fiction uh, uh, background as opposed to fantasy. Now – 
he's really into fantasy. Should yes. Point out. I mean, well, I mean, like we said, he was really into the Dungeons and Dragons, and he was really into. Uh, you know, he he went by Lord British for the longest time, and he uh, dresses in Elizabethan clothes a often, lot. not as much as he used to, but yes. So uh, I mean, you would, this is, you would see him dressed in dressed really up as Lord it. British. He really yeah. gets into it. Yes, and well, to the point where he he really enjoys that kind of. Uh, the the whole pageantry and theatricality of it. I mean, he he also was part of the Society of Creative Anachronism or mm-hmm. SCA, which is all about recreating kind of this medieval, this idealistic medieval Renaissance sort of uh, recreation. Um, the Middle Ages, as we would have it to be, I believe, was one of the mottos of that organization, which I may or may not have belonged to at one point. <laughs> um, but he also, uh, you were mentioning the mansion. He would also he has has. He owned a mansion with, that had uh, secret passageways. Uh, you could only get through t- uh, from one room to another by solving a puzzle. Uh, or you would be in an upper gallery and there would be no way to get to the lower gallery unless you moved a certain object a certain number of times and then a, a magical staircase would appear. Um, he would occasionally turn this mansion into a full-fledged haunted house. Uh, he would do it like every other year and he would hire – Hollywood special effects companies to come to his mansion and convert it into this haunted house. So we're talking, you know, motion picture quality special effects going on at this thing. And he would let people come. He would give out tickets. Uh, you'd do the ticket thing to, in order to keep a, a good control on traffic. But I, I'm pretty sure he did it. It was all for free. Yeah. You know, I think he might have auctioned some off for charity or something, but he didn't charge people to come in and see his stuff. Mm-hmm. He just – he loved this kind of theatricality and he loved to share it with other people. Still does, I'm sure. I don't think he does the Halloween stuff anymore. I think he stopped doing that. It just became um, too complicated. Uh, I believe sometime around the late 90s, maybe the early in 2000, 2001, yeah. he stopped doing it. But Well, that's uh, – you know – Sort of the story of a successful game designer. I mean, if you're if you're making that kind of money and living this kind of lifestyle, you'd want to, you know, probably keep going if you're really into games, right? You know, just yeah, you know, doing games forever. Except for the fact that yeah, you would think that, uh, and you'd be wrong. Oh yeah, Richard Garriott is no longer producing games, at least as far as we can tell right now. Um, we we need to talk about his most recent famous exploit, which is that Richard Garriott became a space tourist. Well, you know, I think he would disagree with you. He become a what a space ambassador? No, no, no. Now, see, this is part of the deal because um, this article in Wired, which is pretty interesting, it really gets into, like I said, really it's more about Star City, which is where the cosmonauts train. Mm. Now, when you enter training, uh, according to this article, when you enter training at Star City, you are a cosmonaut. Oh, okay. So he is a cosmonaut. I'm sorry, but NASA will not call him an astronaut. And he apparently takes exception to that. Mm. Um, the article suggests that uh, maybe it's because he's into player classes. Could and be. And he wants right. the title. Right. He um, needs to level up as an uh, astronaut as opposed to cosmonaut. Yep, yes. Multi-class. Now, yeah, the Americans call him a space tourist. Right. Um, but uh, but not the, the Russians. And cool. he, uh, in October, blasted off for space. Yes, and a Soyuz rocket. Yep, a TMA-13. Yep, went to the International Space Station, spent more than a week up there, as I recall. Yep, yep. And Landed this safely is, back home. And and his fascination with space, this isn't a new thing, just because the uh, Russians offered this. Oh, did I say the Russians just offered this? Well, uh, in 1990, he became right. a donor to uh, the X Prize Foundation. 
And he actually uh, started this organization called Space Adventures, which sells seats on Russian spacecraft for trips into space. And wow. that's uh, kind of how he ended up there. He um, bought a seat for $30 million. I was about to say, I think it's up to $30 million now, right? $30 million. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And apparently from what he said, that's quite a bit of his money. Um, he came, you know, this is not pocket change for him. This is a serious investment. Um, and sure he wants either. to go again. Wow. Uh, and it may be uh, up to $45 million by the time he does that. So I, he may he may be starting another game company. <laughs> well, yeah, because on November 11th, he wrote an open letter to the Tabula Rasa website, which essentially announced his re- uh, he was resigning from the, the NCSoft company and was leaving uh, to pursue other interests. But – that's about as much as we can tell from that letter. I mean, there was, it was fairly cryptic. We know that the inspiration for this was his trip to the International Space Station. So presumably it has something to do with space exploration, possibly private space exploration. Um, but we don't really have any details other than that at this point. He hasn't really elaborated on his reasons for, for resigning and, and or what his other pursuits will be. Yeah. And again, he's into it. This is not just – uh, the the Russians taking him into space and he gets to hang around in the, the space station. Yes. He actually has to take a part in working on science experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to uh, flush the space potty if it yeah. needs flushing. And he had to be trained on every piece of equipment in case something went wrong. Right. It wasn't a passing fancy kind of thing. No. As a matter of fact, apparently he had to study Russian for four hours a day so that he could actually read the instrument panels. Wow. So, I mean, he's, this is – you know, this is not something that he has to take lightly. This is something he has to be ready for in all capacities. You know, wow. it's not just uh, flying around and going, "Hey, yeah, there's Mars." So yeah, he was a he was a cool guy back when I met him, uh, and now he's super cool. <laughs> um, and I'm really interested to see what he does next because he 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 gets behind his projects with such energy and passion, and uh, uh, and a real curiosity that. You can't help but admire the work he's done, even if you're not a big fan of computer games. You know, there's there's no question that a lot of work went into what he he has accomplished so far. So it's very exciting to think that he's going to tackle something new, and I kind of kind of curious to see where it goes. Now, um, I have. I, am I going to miss his games? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I loved the Ultima series, um, and. Uh, you know, it's kind of a bummer to think that he's not going to be doing that anymore, probably. But uh, I, I am glad to see that his work has inspired other people. So at least to get, you know, kind of follow in his footsteps. That's true. And, you know, he's only 47. So, right. Uh, yeah, he's still a young guy. Yeah. So yeah. there's plenty of time. Well, I think that's a really good uh, overview of, of Richard Lord British or General British Garriott. Uh, if you want to learn more about these kind of topics, you can read things like how MMORPGs work. Those articles are live right now on HowStuffWorks.com. And I guess we'll say hail and well met to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?